The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brand you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. All right, marketers, welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where, as you know, we tell untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns. We're being told by the marketers who built them, which is great. We've fostered a community of marketers here. And so I'm super excited to have Alex on today. I'm, I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, which is the smallest holding company of ad agencies in the world. <laughs> we have five specialized ad agencies and a full service agency, a couple hundred employees. And I wanted to point that out just quickly. I have Alex on. He's another agency guy. So I'm excited to have him on. But I know before you may have heard me, Scott Harkey, CEO of OH Partners. Now you're hearing, hey, CEO of the Harkey Group, what, what's going on here? I took all the agencies we had as sister agencies and rolled them up to a holding company called the Harkey Group. So OH Partners is still our fully integrated ad agency within the holding company. And holding company sounds weird because we're still an independent ad agency. We just happen to have specialized agencies within our group. So let's get back to Alex here. And what we're going to discuss today is how Patagonia is really built brand and what other marketers can learn from Patagonia. Joining us is Alex Krishman, who's a creative director of Alta, which is a creative direction and brand strategy consultancy the dude is is a superhero when it comes to branding and brand strategy. And uh, he spent some time on the client side, on the agency side. He's built wine companies like Prisoner. He's been involved in companies like Patagonia. So today, Alex and I are going to discuss what brands can learn from Patagonia's brand building strategies. Okay, here's my conversation with Alex Christman, creative director at Alta. What's up, dude? Hi, man. How are you doing? So good, man. Uh, good to have you on. Again, uh, I love having other agencies on, other you know vendors of brands on who know what's going on in the industry. We certainly have insight. And so again, you guys caught our eye on the form submission. And I was like, yeah, let's get Alex on. Let's talk shop because people that are doing good work are, are actually tough to find in this industry, believe it or not. I know you're in the San Francisco area. I was LinkedIn's kind of stalking you today. But tell us where are people getting it wrong? I love this title. Let's dive into it. Why don't some marketers, we will say not all, why don't some marketers understand brand marketing? So I think I think it's a definitional problem, right? I mean, like I feel like I've spent a long time trying to understand brand myself. And that journey took me through like starting an agency that did web design up to like trying to help people shape product portfolios around new wineries that we're launching. I worked with NVIDIA on product strategy. I worked on restoration hardware relaunch. All these guys had different approaches to it. It feels like when people talk about brand, they mean a thousand different things. And that's kind of the problem. So I went on this long trajectory that ended with me getting an MBA in Cambridge, starting distilleries. Like I've launched four or five different businesses. I repackaged a, a winery in Napa called The Prisoner. I don't know if you've heard of that, into The Prisoner Wine Company. Shit, absolutely. I love the story of Prisoner. 
certainly mass produced now, but <laughs> someone has been an way too much. But yeah, absolutely. But that was such a great case study for like, what's the value of brand? All we did is we repackaged those five wines that Hineas bought from Dave Finney into a sub company. We created a product strategy and we sold it brand only for 5X in a year, right? Like, I mean, like I didn't take a piece of the deal, unfortunately, <laughs> but I made, I made Augustine a lot of money doing that. So, and this is... As ad agency people, we tend to always take a piece of the deals that don't work out. <laughs> and then the ones that kill it were fee-based, of course. But yeah, <laughs> I think because the people that are going to kill it, they know it and they are stingy with their equity. The people that don't have a great offering, offer us equity. So a uh, side, little sidebar there. But. That's it for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think the thing that people get wrong is like, I mean, it makes sense when you have a big organization that you've got a silo brand somewhere, right? So it ends up sitting under the marketing org. I think often it gets defined as in the marketing org, people say this is all of the unattributed value that we generate from activity, right? In M&A, they say this is goodwill. This is the unattributable bucket of money that gets sort of spent above the valuation of the company. There's all these places where there's just this fuzzy definition of we don't really get how to quantify this or what it is, but we know that it's a powerful force. And the place that I've landed with it after like years of thinking about this is dual process theory. It's the same underpinnings of like Simon Sinek's book. I think he wrote, uh, start with why, right? Behavioral finance. You look at like, where's the most sort of like just viciously results oriented part of industry that you could possibly imagine it's in finance, right? They just care about making numbers, but in finance, there's behavioral finance in economics, there's behavioral economics. There's this huge sea change where people are realizing that the way that our brains are built and our human psychology, we don't, we're not rational creatures that make rational self-interested decisions. We're emotional creatures that make emotional decisions. And that's what brand is aimed at doing, right? It's a, it's exploiting the pattern recognition built into your survival psyche, right? Like the base parts of your brain to say, I can elicit a behavior. I can elicit, and this is a very Machiavellian sounding version of this, but it's also done for huge good, like Patagonia, right? Incredible brand, right? But it's essentially a synchronization that happens across the company. It's almost indistinguishable from culture. And where marketers and a lot of business leaders get this wrong, when they talk about brand, they only talk about the artifacts of a brand. They want to talk about logos and colors, right? And those things need to reflect the brand, but that's not the brand itself, right? That's, I, think that, I think that's the thing that most people get wrong. And so Ed Shine, you know, with culture theory in the 90s said there's the the artifacts of a culture, there's the espoused culture, and then there's the actual culture, there's the implicit culture. And the process of creating a culture is taking the implicit culture and just surfacing it and creating those artifacts. And the only thing people see is that little tip of the iceberg, but the real work is getting down to the basement of like, why do we do this? How do we inform and drive behavior across the company? How do we synchronize decision-making? And then you deliver something bigger than the sum of its parts. Okay, so lots to unpack here, but let me let me try. And then I, I have a ton of follow-up questions. Number one, just as a, a point of reference for our audience, we've talked a lot about Patagonia on the show. Alex actually worked there. So I definitely want to probably parking lot Patagonia because I have, I have so, so remind me, I have some questions there being inside the culture. I love how you've been certainly client side and agency side. So I think most people that have been both client agencies side have a great perspective on both sides of the coin. And what's interesting, what I heard from you at the very beginning is there's really not a synchronized definition of, of what brand is. And as you've really had a lot of startup success, especially in the beverage industry that I've, I've seen on your, your LinkedIn as well, you've really made it your passion to try to understand brand and to help like maybe even bring finance into the fold and get a, a definition 
that people can agree on before work's done and before you can really understand like, okay, what is your mission as, as an agency or as a CMO or as a brand marketer? And also, I'd like to hear a little bit more about Cambridge and your kind of journey. So with all that being said, help me understand your definition of brand. Like I'm hearing more and more like CMOs use the term of like North Star. Of course, people make decisions emotionally and justify it with logic. I do think to your point, finance people are understanding that more and more to some of the roles that you alluded to earlier. But is there a quick definition that you've, through your journey that you've, you've landed on? I heard a ton there, but I, I still don't understand like what, like, how are we defining it? Yeah. So the model that I use when I'm presenting this to clients is I take a, a circle and I draw it out of dots, right? Or a dotted line. And the psychological principle for that is gestalt, right? If you look at a bunch of dots that sit in roughly in a circular shape, your brain, without any conscious thought, you can't choose to unsee it. You're going to see that shape completed as a circle, right? And that principle of gestalt is the, that's the base way that brand works. We're, we're exploiting the pattern searching, the pattern affinity of our brains to say, I can see something bigger than any individual action of this company. And the nice thing about this model is like, so you think about like, if I look at us, like, a, why do we use a scatter plot instead of just like a huge sheet full of numbers? Because it's exploiting the same thing that your brain, like evolutionarily very attractive traits. If you can see the outline of the tiger in the tall grass, you don't get eaten, right? <laughs> if you understand the behavior of the prey animal. So it's like a crocodile brain kind of. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's using this huge, powerful, like subconscious part of your brain to say like, we can create patterns of behavior in a company. We can create, like use the underlying values of the company to drive alignment in all of our activities. And then we surface it with these artifacts that we call marketing, right? So we've got like Patagonia, they're sort of the North Star, the sort of making the implicit, you know, Yvon Chouinard's initial idea, you know, that he didn't really want to be a businessman. He said, for me to do this, I need to do this to survive. This enables me to do the things that I want. I want to use this as a vehicle to do good. That was the implicit, right? They surface that into the ex, into the, the more explicit or espoused by saying, you know, we want to build the best product, do no unnecessary harm, and use business as a way to discover and deploy solutions to climate crisis. That was their sort of their three-part mission statement to say, like, this is, this is the thing we're going to do. The artifacts of that are so varied, right? And I think that's the hallmark of a successful brand is I sat next to the controller in Amsterdam. She was looking for ways to divest their bank holdings from companies that were investing in oil. No customer ever sees that. But that kind of radical follow through you feel in those brands, right? Where like you turn, you flip the tag over on the shirt and it says, vote the assholes out, right? It's it's all of the small details that make you feel like, wow, these people really care, like from top to bottom, back to front. There is a a complete thought, a full commitment. And the companies that get brand wrong, they build the artifice, right? They just build the sort of the artifacts of a brand. They don't actually get into the meat of like, we've actually followed through. And you can see that in their product offering. You can see that in their customer service. You can see it in whether somebody picks up the phone or they get an automated system, right? There's a million choices that reflect that. And I think it's like, I think it's primarily for a lack of creative problem solving. I forget the guy's name. God, let me think. There's a guy at Ogilvy. Let me see if I can circle back and get his name. But he had a really beautiful example in a TED talk that he gave years ago, sort of illustrating this point. And he said, to this end of like not solving the problem creatively, People said, how do we improve the ride on the channel between London and France? Well, they spent billions of dollars making it faster, just making it shorter, right? And for that same amount of money, you could have hired every supermodel in the world, handing out like glasses of Chateau Petrus for free, and they would have asked you to slow the train down. 
So, and it would have cost you a fifth of the money, right? So the point is that like you can drive this incredible value with brand that causes people to part with more money, cause them to become fanatical about product. And it really has to do with this synchronization problem. Like, do I care about something enough to align everything across the whole company to that thing? Yeah. And to your point, Patagonia had a fanatical way of like, it was, I mean, even look at his recent donation, like it is when there is no question that there is an extreme (laughs) sense of like, we say what we mean and do what we say, like no question. I'm trying to understand, and maybe I'm getting hung up on the word artifact and how brands are getting it wrong. Like they have these artifacts, meaning like these products and these things that aren't aren't aligned into like, I think what you said, the meat, meaning is it like the heartbeat and the follow through and all the Patagonia shit? Like I'm trying to understand kind of your thesis and I, I think I understand it, but I think I need more clarity to what you're saying. Yeah, I think what I mean is to say that the, the conversation gets compressed by whatever vertical you're in, right? So if you're in the marketing vertical, when you start talking about brand, people will often compress that to either like ad campaigns that are unattributable to direct conversion value, or they'll say, this is brand identity. This is the logo and colors. I got you. Yep. 100%. It's the feeling and the heart and the everything else. And it's hard for people to measure that and all that. It's not tangible enough for for certain people. Sometimes people get a little too high in the clouds as well. When like I've done a ton of brand workshops, I'd love to go through one of your brand workshops because it sounds freaking fascinating. And where are we scaring the finance people? Like how do we communicate and how do we maybe even what I'm hearing from you as an industry, like have the same language around the definition. And then more importantly, once you get the definition, okay, then how do you value it and how do you measure it? Yeah. And actually, so this is like this to your earlier question about like Cambridge, like how did I end up in that sort of education stream? It was like trying to solve this exact problem that when you talk about brand, the conversations with other people that get it happen at the like the lower echelons of the company. When you get to C-suite and the boardroom, these are people who come from backgrounds that are either like business backgrounds, technical backgrounds, they use different terminology. I went and got an MBA because I wanted to look at it like a foreign language course. Right? I, I need to figure out how do I translate these concepts in a way that business leaders will internalize and understand that they're important. And I mean, frankly, you have a finance background, like like just quickly, like you I, you were doing like M and A at like Patagonia and stuff. Like at least I looked at your. It was sort of a founder role. So like I got hired. I did a consulting project with them while I was at at the MBA in Cambridge. I left to join them to launch Patagonia Provisions into Europe. So I was doing product development. But actually, this is a really great case study for like how Patagonia builds a brand. The way that they thought about provisions and product development for provisions was we were trying to find, can we create a new product in Europe that is sort of a singular encapsulation of all of the problems with agriculture in Europe? Like something that was demonstrative of like the systemic problem in monopoly power, changing the way that farmers farm, in the way that we patent genetics, and the way that we regulate food, and the way that subsidies get paid out this huge interwoven mesh of issues that if you create a product around that, you can illustrate mm. for people in a really beautiful way that there's a, not only that there's a, this tangled mass of a problem, but also there's a really simple solution. It just needs a coordinated solution across all of those little tangled pieces. Right. I think you really helped me just quickly on, on the Patagonia stuff. I mean, they were solving a big, they were building a brand to solve a massive problem and other launches in other markets, they still took that approach of solving a problem. They're not just like the we care about environment company. They're the we're trying to solve a massive problem that it happens to be in environmental issues. 
the most optimistic, good-hearted. Like I worked for Ryan Jellert, who's the, now the CEO. He's the guy who just took the Yvonne donating the company. Like it, he was the guy who executed that on Yvonne's behalf. Working with him and the team, his direct team in Amsterdam, like the follow-through, the like the purpose beyond profit, that we're not here to get rich. We want this to be a smaller company. We want to have a smaller footprint. It's so genuine. I mean, the, the radical nature to how these guys deploy it is just incredible. I mean, it, just to talk about it was amazing. So what's the page out of the book for other brands that aren't going to have that radical of mission and purpose? Like, is it around the, the problem solving and, and the heart side? Like, help us. What's the cheat sheet of, of Patagonia maybe light? <laughs> I think that there are relatively few companies whose founders took the risk to start them without something that was really important to them, right? There's a, everybody who take. I mean, I, I started an agency because I had this burning that I had to do it, right? And I had this idea that I had a perspective to contribute. I had an idea that I could do it better. It wasn't because I thought that I could make more money. I think that rarely does somebody commit themselves so, like to starting a new business without some little spark of like, I can do it better. That resonates with me a lot. I started my agency 15 years ago. And that was, I worked with agencies. I worked for the media. I got my ass kicked. We're going to CBS by agencies treating me like shit. And I'm like, I can do this a lot better. A lot more people. I really believe that like all companies start with that little spark. There's like a little seed of something that is so important to somebody that they will recall, right? And preserve and fan that flame. That's where your brand comes from, right? That's where that's the source of your differentiation. That's where your new products come from that other people wouldn't make. There's this X factor that comes from that place that frankly, when big companies start to lose their audience, it's because they've engineered that out of the equation. Getting back to the spark of, of like when you first started it. Yeah. And like there's ways to, when you lose a key, like Apple losing Steve Jobs, right? There's a way to encourage that culture to survive the loss of a single person. It's hard. That's culture theory more than brand. Like there's a lot of this stuff that's very, it all sits very close adjacent, like the Venn diagram. There's a lot of dark in that Venn diagram, right? I think that that's kind of the thing when you're looking for like, where's the font that the brand comes from? Where's the fountain that all of that comes out of? Like that's it that little spark. Man, it, that makes a ton of sense of finding the kernel. And I guess maybe it's just so relevant to me of why you started. And I think that's why you've seen a lot of... I've even seen some other specialized agencies doing like heritage products or heritage research on brands, right? Where there's like, what's the heritage of the NFL and the heritage of like Hershey's or the heritage of these brands to really find those core nuggets of these founders that had this spark of an idea to do something better and that's really kind of if you could get back to that seed and infuse that with culture and everything else, then that might be the impetus for kind of not like a rebrand, but like a getting back to your your home and, and alignment. It sounds like you have a kind of a process for that a little bit. Yeah, I think I do. I mean, and I was going to say that it feels oftentimes it feels more like therapy than design. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Especially yeah. companies because you're trying to tease out for somebody like, what do you care most about? Like, why did you do this? What does the outcome look like for you? And how is that different? Why do you deserve to exist? Like there's these very sort of principled questions you have to ask people that are frankly kind of confrontational. And it's surprising that people know these things inside of themselves. But again, it's like the in the unespoused, the like the innate I know this, but I can't quite articulate it. It's helping people figure out what are the words to say this, and then how do I translate that into action? And frankly, the way that brands get built is not by giving them a series of rules to follow, it's by giving them some momentum. And once they start understanding what does this feel like when I do this, they can recognize it and it becomes easier for them to transmute that into teams. People are way better at following norms than they are at following rules, right? <laughs> 
in Patagonia and you're like, I can tell when I'm doing something that I'm not marching to the beat of the drum anymore, right? Like that's very clear from our sort of tribal, like ancestral roots. But like, if you give me a list of rules I have to follow, I'm going to forget eight of them. It's not going to happen, right? Wow. There's <laughs> the just getting back to being inspired again and being part of the tribe. And I'm like feeling it, right? You have to feel it. All right. That wraps up this episode of the Rebrand Podcast. Huge thanks to Alex Krishman, the creative director at Alta, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Alex and I are going to discuss why brand value is the most crucial part of the wine industry's value proposition. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Alex, you'll find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is Hoffman Krishman, or visit the company website at alta.com. Co. And that's A-L-T-A dot C-O. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to the podcast, head over to the rebrandpod.com. We'll have all the summaries and episodes, contact information for guests. Like We'll have all the stuff. So if you need anything, go there. You can subscribe to the newsletter. Or if you want to talk about the most impactful marketing campaign, you can apply to be a guest speaker. It's super easy. We get about 20 a week now. And so make sure the topics are great. And we'd love to have you on. So again, we're, we're looking for just awesome hosts to continue to build value into this community. Of course, you can always find us on social media. We're on everything. I think the easiest thing to do at this point, just type in Scott Harkey. I'm on all this stuff. My Twitter is SharkyAZ. Rebrand's on there as well, but we're building that. We're still fairly new. But if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Again, we're, we're building this marketing community. And uh, if you want just it on your phone and you know where it is, just have it there. Some days we're going to have just sick-ass hosts and you're going to totally relate. And other days they're going to, eh, that one's not for me. That's the new world of podcasting. So we're just going to produce five a week and you pick on which ones you want. Maybe one you're like, damn, I, that, that was awesome. That was super relevant. Or other ones are like, eh, I'll wait till next week. But subscribe. So it's right there. We got about 5,000 marketers already subscribed and we've, we've been around like 45 days. So super proud of the team and what we're building. We're going to try to get better every time we do it. So that's my commitment to you. I do feel like we are getting better. So that's a good sign. And we are hearing good things from our audience. All right, that's it for today. But remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 